Amen. I pray that you are having a great weekend. We are uh, embarking on a short series in the book of Mark, Marks 14 through 16. We're preparing for the Easter season. Um, Mark 14, it begins the, the passion narrative in the gospel. So today we'll be in Mark 14, verses 3 through 9. The, the series title is Don't Miss Him, and the title of this message is The Heart of a, of a Disciple. We all have people in our relationship network, right? We have some people that are very close to us, close friends, and then we have extended family and work colleagues, fellow students, neighbors. And then there are the masses, people that pass by and we often don't even see. The question this morning is, what does it mean to love someone? What does it mean to be devoted to someone? I met my wife uh, about 35 years ago, and... uh, She knew very well the day that my relationship with her shifted from a casual friendship to heart devotion. (laughs) All of a sudden, she had to deal with this guy that was in her life that just wanted to see her, to be with her, to talk to her. We've been married for 33 years now. And uh, marriage is much more than a piece of paper. It is about a heart affection, a devotion, a love, a loyalty. And she knows when my heart is alive toward her to this day. When our first daughter was born, we have three daughters. When our first daughter was born, immediately I was awakened to her and I loved her. And I don't think my daughter could do anything more to make me love her more. I remember I was so excited, you know, she was just a babe and she was sleeping in her crib. I'd come rushing home from work and go into her room and she'd be just sleeping really quietly. I'd poke her just to see if she was still alive, make her move a bit. I couldn't wait for her to wake up and to hold her. Love, devotion. Who have you shared your heart affections with this week? Has your love been awakened towards someone? Did you love Jesus? Were you devoted to him? Today's passage is going to help us. It's going to paint just a beautiful picture of what it means to love Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again just for the joy of coming together as your people and worshiping you, gathering around your table. A baptism, Lord, thank you. New people being called out to serve you. And thank you that we can come around your word and hear your voice to us. Thank you, Jesus, that you're here to instruct us. I pray that nothing I say would stray from your word, that your word, you're living an active word that encourages your people, that spurs them on, that builds them up, that that word would remain with them. For your glory, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, we're in the Gospel of Mark. And the Gospel of Mark was written by John Mark, probably around 55 AD. He was a close associate of the Apostle Peter. So what we read in the Gospel of Mark are Peter's recollections, his intimate knowledge of who Jesus was and is. The big question in this Gospel is, what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to be devoted to him? What does that look like? And and Mark narrates, of course, the life of Jesus, his teachings, his interactions with people. 
And as we read through the Gospel of Mark, we get a very clear picture of what it actually means to follow him. In Mark 14 here, we're entering the last section. As I said earlier, Mark narrates the passion narrative. The verses that we read, are the, the, the event, it occurs just a few days before Jesus' crucifixion. So let's dive in. Dive in. Chapter 14, verse 3. And while he was at Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. So here we are in the city or the village of Bethany, just a sleepy village about three kilometers from Jerusalem on the eastern slope of the Mount of Olives. Jesus would often stay there. When he was in Jerusalem, he would spend the night in the home of Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. They're in the house of Simon the leper. We don't learn this from the scriptures, but church tradition would tell us that Simon the leper was actually the father to Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. If he was present at the meal here, he had been healed because lepers were not permitted to circulate among the general population. So if Simon the leper is actually in the room, he's been healed by Jesus. In fact, there aren't a lack of signs of miraculous power of God's love and grace in this room. First, Simon the leper healed, and John 12 tells us that Lazarus was around the table as well. And so you've got a healed leper and the resurrected Lazarus at the table. Jesus is reclining at table. What does that mean? Reclining at table, that phrase was used for a special meal. This is not any ordinary meal. This is a special meal. It's a dinner, according to John 12. It would be toward evening. Reclining at table, what they would do at these special meals, there would be a low table, and men would lie down, and with their heads toward the table, their feet away, resting on an elbow and eating with one hand. And so you get the picture of this casual, peaceful Welcoming atmosphere, right? End of the day. Beautiful meal. The atmosphere is actually charged because in verses 1 and 2, we read that the chief priests and the scribes are already plotting. They're wanting to arrest and kill Jesus. And the verses just after the text that we read, verses 10 and 11, they talk about Judas acting as an accomplice of the chief priests and scribes in order to arrest Jesus. And so here we have this sandwich, this this event in in the home of Simon the leper, sandwiched in between betrayal and guile and deceit and conspiracy. A woman came with an alabaster flask, verse 3. John identifies this woman as Mary. Mary, the 
sister to Martha and Lazarus. And this, this flask that she breaks, that she pours out, it's full of ointment of pure nard. This was very, very precious ointment. It was imported from northern India. It, was, it came from an Indian plant, uh, herbal root. So this wasn't just a household oil that would be used for cooking or for medicinal purposes or for anointing guests. This, this ointment was actually used only for special acts of devotion. text says it was very costly, very expensive. Verse 5, worth more than 300 denarii. If you were a laborer, you would make one denarii per day. So she has poured out 300 days wages, a whole year's earnings. (laughs) A, A woman at that time would not have made this kind of money in her lifetime. So she didn't get this at the dollar store. The value of the perfume suggests that it's actually from the family heirloom. And so it's passed on from generation to generation, from mother to daughter. This is her retirement savings that she's pouring out. Mary broke the flask and poured it out. If you've ever held alabaster, you realize it's soft. It breaks very, very, very easily. This is pure worship. This is a fervent expression of devotion to Jesus. Her, her tenderness, her compassion, it just stands in stark contrast to the, the conniving, the conspiracy, the treachery of the chef, chief priests and scribes, and the betrayal of Judas, and the indifference and the bewilderment of the disciples. What does it teach us about discipleship? Well, first of all, and this is the main point of the message, pure, undivided devotion to Jesus is the essence of discipleship. Discipleship, it's about Loving Jesus. It's not just a series of lessons. It's about loving someone. A heart towards him. A desire to honor him. Did Mary understand what she was doing? Did she get the full impact of what she was doing in that moment? Probably not. But one thing that we do know is that Mary, for certain, was devoted to Jesus. Luke chapter 10, again, they're in the home of Mary and Martha. And Martha Martha is scuttling around. She's anxious. She's troubled. Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, just soaking it in. And Martha comes to Jesus. She's complaining, and Jesus says, Martha, Mary has chosen the good portion. It won't be taken from her. What does that mean, the good portion? See, it comes from the Old Testament, where the portion is your greatest possession, what you value most. Psalm 16, verse 5. The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. And so for Mary, her greatest possession was her relationship with Jesus. That was the best place to be. She understood what Jesus said in Mark chapter 12 when he said... The most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength, with all that you are. She got it. She loved Jesus. She had a love that surpassed knowledge. And Jesus said, hey, this won't be taken from Mary. Was this kind of love unusual? Well, Jesus had forewarned the disciples three times already that he was going to die. 
This is part of Peter's recollection, Mark chapter 8, the first time that Jesus tells his disciples. He says, 831, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man might suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. So Peter remembers the first time Jesus told us this, I I rebuked him. (laughs) And then the second time, the second time Jesus told us, the 12 of us, we argued about who would be the greatest in the kingdom. (laughs) And Jesus said to us, hey guys, if you want to be first, be a servant. And then the third time Jesus told us that he would die, James and John, they had this conversation with Jesus about whether they would be able to sit on his right and left. And those of us that were left out of the conversation, me, Peter, and the other nine, we were indignant. Just like when Mary poured the flask on Jesus' head, the same word, indignant. We were so angry at James and John. And Jesus said, hey, guys, If you want to be great, serve. You see, in Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, there will be no act of devotion, no act of worship coming from the disciples. (laughs) Their minds are elsewhere. They're thinking about who's going to be the greatest. They're thinking about their position in the kingdom. They're thinking about their honor. They're thinking about themselves. Chapter 13, just prior to this text, Jesus gives his discourse on the end of all things, the the signs of the end. And he says, the Son of Man will come on the clouds of heaven. Be awake, be on your guard, be alert. He says it over and over again. Why? Is it possible that the disciples might miss it? Are we susceptible to missing things? For example, one of the things that I, I find in Canada is that often as believers in Canada, we're not awake to the moment in history that we live in. That this is a moment of end time harvest. If you look at church history, if you look at what has happened over the last hundred years, we are in a special season of end time harvest. The church has grown over the last 100 years around the world like never before. Latin America, Africa, Asia, like never before, going to every people group. And so we need to be awake. And if it's not happening in our lives, in our church, in our neighborhood, we need to be praying, Lord, may the revival come here as well. May we not miss it. Getting closer to home. You know, we can have someone living in our home for a long time, for decades, and not actually see that person. God may give us a son or daughter, and we have 20 years about with that son or daughter. 20 years to invest in the life of that son and daughter. And sometimes as parents, we're just so busy, we're so distracted, we miss it. (laughs) And then the child has grown and is gone. And it's not that God can't redeem things, but the 20 years don't come back. See, we can miss the moment. And so are we awake to the moment? The person that God has asked us to love, to serve, to invest in, to share the gospel with. Are we sharing with people the reason for our hope, our love, our joy? What's the moment in your life? What's devotion to Jesus demanding of you and I today? 
You see, discipleship decisions, they're made in the real world. They're not made in the world of theory, who I might like to be, what I might like to do. What do I think about discipleship? Discipleship happens in the real world. It goes from the heart to the lips, from the heart to the hands, from the heart to the needy. Discipleship is about loving action in the real world. Loving action in the real world. What the disciples needed, it had been sown in the heart of Mary. You see, it was kind of like Second Chronicles 16.9. The Lord had been searching to and fro for a heart t- turned toward him. And he found Mary. He found Mary in the house of Simon the leper. One of the most sobering things as you read through the Gospel of Mark is that the only person who listens to Jesus and understands who he is is Mary. Some say to themselves, this is verse 4, they're indignant. Why was the ointment wasted like that? The parallel passage, Matthew 26, identifies this, this sum as the disciples. John 12 puts these words into the mouth of Judas. And so the disciples are angered by her extravagance. Verse 5 says, they scold her. That word scold is to snort like an angry horse. (laughs) Flare the nostrils in anger. Scandalized by her action. And she just wanted to thank Jesus. She had sat at his feet and she had found life. Words of life, she light of the world to her. Her brother died and Jesus raised him from the dead. Her dad was a leper and Jesus healed him. No gift was enough. Jesus was of immeasurable worth. She would never be able to do enough. For the disciples, however, the the ointment, it was just worth too much. They couldn't appreciate her lavish outpouring of devotion. No, it's just a waste. And they demean the gift, Mary, Jesus. One thing is clear. They weren't thinking about Jesus. (laughs) In that moment, they were not thinking about being devoted to him, to worshiping him, to serving him, to loving him a few days before his crucifixion. Their minds weren't on Jesus. They were thinking about themselves. You see, point three, pure devotion to Jesus will be attacked by those who are not devoted. So if you are devoted to Jesus, don't be surprised if people challenge you, if they question you. They wonder what you're doing. The world around us has no problem with too much wealth. Right? The world has no problem with too much wealth, with too much sex, too much power. No problem. It does have a problem with too much devotion to Jesus. And so if you are following Jesus, they will say, okay, if you have to, if you need that in your life, okay, But please be discreet, be private, be quiet, don't do anything exaggerated, keep it calm. Sometimes the church is the same. Remember when I was a teenager uh, living in the Fraser Valley and a very wealthy man, one day he just gave all of his money away. And I remember the conversation in the community, it's like, what did he do? Even in the church, like, Did he lose his mind? And he had gone to the top of Vetter Mountain. He had spent time in prayer and fasting. And he felt that he had met Jesus and that Jesus had asked him to give it away. And he did. Foolish. 
Francis Chan was in Vancouver this week. He was speaking at a conference, and he talked about a village in China that he spent some time in. And in this village, there's a church. And in this church, every family has adopted special needs children, two or three children, each family. And he says, as he spent time in this community, just such a beautiful expression of love of who God is. What a wonderful offering to Jesus. And yet many would say, how foolish. Do you know what you're doing? That's a life commitment. I have a friend who's a chartered accountant, and five years ago, he's a part, he was a partner in this firm, and they were sitting around the table doing strategic planning, talking about the future, and the partners in the, in the room said, okay, what about you? Where do you see yourself in five years? And he said, not here. <laughs> Today he's in Burundi with his wife, three daughters, serving the church in the middle of a civil war. And people would say, how foolish. Why would he do that? You see, you may be asked, why do you love? Why do you love your spouse? Why do you hang in there? And even Christians will say, leave him, leave her. Why do you continue to love that son or daughter? Why do you continue to share the gospel? Why do you love that neighbor that's difficult? Why? And there'll be moments in life when the only thing that you can say is, I do it because Jesus asked me to do it and I love him. That's why. You know, I see myself in those critical voices of the disciples. I can, could so easily have said what they said. Because my thoughts just naturally go toward careful stewardship. A little phrase rings in my mind, you know, a penny saved is a penny earned. (laughs) Careful. But what if the Holy Spirit is actually going in a different direction? What if the Holy Spirit is asking for extravagant worship, extravagant devotion, a complete yielding to the Lord? How does Jesus respond to Mary's devotion? Jesus defends Mary. He says to the disciples, leave her alone. He sees her heart. He asks them, why are you causing her trouble? He questions their motives. He says, she's done a beautiful thing. What she has done for me, this is awesome. Becomes his treasure. You see, Jesus defends and commends pure devotion to him because he sees it as a beautiful expression of love. He sees it as just a beautiful expression of love. That's what he values. Kent Hughes tells the story about his uh, wife, Barbara, and their son, Kent. So, Barbara, she loves cooking. She loves cooking, and she keeps her favorite recipes. And Barbara, she has this recipe box. It's a decorating cardboard recipe box and it's beautiful. All of her favorite recipes are filed in there. It's kind of a conversation piece between her and her friends. So one day on her birthday, her friends invite her out for lunch. She goes out with her friends, comes back, and the box is gone. She's just about to throw at the question, where's my box? When she sees little Kent. And little Kent has something behind his back. And there's water dripping to the floor behind him. 
And her heart begins to, her heart begins to sink. So he comes up to her and he says, Mommy, it's your birthday. And I knew that that box was really special to you. So I, I washed it. <laughs> and she received the box from him and she opened it up. And inside was a nickel, a black plastic alligator, and a pitcher of Kent. Kent, the father, says, you know what? If the house is ever burning down, the one thing that my wife Barbara is going for is that little treasure box. You see, little Kent had given her all his money, his best alligator, and the best picture he had of himself. She's going for that box because it's just an expression of pure, innocent, unadulterated love. Jesus has some really funny things in his treasure box. He's got some widow's pennies. He's got some broken alabaster jars. He's got some cups of water. What does Jesus have from you, from me? What does Jesus have in his treasure box? Jesus says to the disciples, you'll always have the poor, And when he says that, he's referring to Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 11. For there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your land. Jesus always encourages caring for the poor, caring for the widow, for the orphan, for the outsider. Matthew 10, Matthew 25. He says to them, you can do good whenever you want. You want to help the poor? Go ahead. This was Passover time. It was custom for the Jews to help the poor at Passover. Go ahead. The contrast is not between Jesus and the poor. The contrast is between the always and the not always. You can always give to the poor. I will not always be with you. I am going to my death. You just have a few days to demonstrate some love, some devotion. So do it. Disciples miss him. Jesus defends and commends pure devotion to him because it places him above all else. And that's what Mary did. She did what she could, verse 8. She couldn't do it all, but she did what she could. She gave out of her resources, her ability. What she was able to do, she did. Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And the good and acceptable and perfect will of God is a life completely yielded to him, complete sacrifice, all in. In John chapter 12, Mary lets down her hair and she wipes Jesus' feet with her hair. For a Jewish woman, her hair was her glory. And so what she's communicating is, all my glory for your glory, Jesus. I'm all in. I'm all yours. A living sacrifice. 
Jesus defends and commends pure devotion to him because it's a total offering of one's life for his glory. It's a total offering of one's life for, her glory, for his glory. You know, my tendency is to do one drop at a time. <laughs> Here, Jesus, here's a drop for your head today and two for your feet. Maybe you'll get a few more drops tomorrow. Measured devotion. Mary breaks the flask and pours it all. 1244, Jesus and the disciples, they're observing a widow, giving her offering. And she gives two small copper coins, the smallest coins in circulation. Two of those coins made a penny. And Jesus just applauds her. He sees her intent, her motive. And she, he says about her, she gave all she had to live on. You see, he lives, looks at the heart. No gift is meaningless. No gift is wasted. The critics here, they're concerned about the money, but Jesus with the act of devotion. And so what do my values, what do my thoughts, what do my, my actions, what do they reveal about me? Do they reveal devotion? Love. Who would you and I be in the story? I could so easily be one of the disciples and see Mary doing that and just think, oh my, she just poured out her life savings. Jesus said, she anointed my body for burial. You see her act, it becomes a prophetic act. It's a dramatic foreshadowing of Jesus' impending death She's prepared Jesus' body for burial, to be laid in a tomb. In the midst of all the hostility, betrayal, conspiracy, Mary's act of faith prepares Jesus to die. And the truth is that had she not done it, you see, Jesus was going to die as a criminal, and criminals are not anointed for burial. And so had Mary not anointed him, he would never have been anointed for burial. End of the gospel, three women, they go to the tomb with spices to anoint him. But he's gone. <laughs> it's too late. And that's what Mark is trying to teach us. Be awake to the moment. Don't miss it. Does Mary understand <laughs> the deeper significance of what she's doing, the full impact of what she's doing in that moment? Probably not. Probably not. Maybe she had heard that Jesus was talking about dying. Maybe that was alive in the conversation of the disciples. But did she understand the full meaning of what she was doing? Probably not. She was just responding to a prompting of the Holy Spirit. John Calvin writes, She was guided by the breath of the Spirit that ensure confidence she should do this in duty to Christ. This Holy Spirit prompted her to do it, and she did it. And that's the thing about discipleship. It's a heart response to a prompting of the Holy Spirit. Jesus defends and commends pure devotion to him because it is a heart response to a prompting of the Holy Spirit. And so the question for you and I is, are we sensitive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit? Are we responding and acting? It's so easy to yield to the common sense, to the practical, and ignore the impulse to write a letter of appreciation, to say to someone, hey, I love you. To give to a need, to share the good news of Jesus, to share the reason for our hope and our love and our joy, to point 
people to the reason for our life. Do you feel the impulse to do something for Jesus today? And let's do it. Jesus says that what Mary has done will be told in memory of her. The whole world is going to hear about it. This story of a woman breaking the alabaster flask and pouring it over my head, it's going around the world. Everyone's going to hear it. And it's happened. It has been told. This demonstration of pure love, everyone will hear. One person has written, the fragrance of the perfume quickly dissipated, but the deed smells sweet and blossoms together forever. You see, acts of devotion to Jesus, they become instruments in the hand of Jesus for the spread of the gospel. What you do, what I do, what you say, what I say in honor of Jesus, out of love for him, it becomes something that Jesus can use. He multiplies it. Sometimes I have this thought, you know, Jesus, what I'm doing here, do you notice? <laughs> what I said, did you hear it, Jesus? No one else seemed to notice. Sit. And the enemy would have us think this thought, is it worth it to be so devoted to Jesus? Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. You see, when the Lord opens his books, your loving words, your loving actions, they will be registered there. Jesus does not forget. In verse 9, Jesus says, The gospel will be proclaimed in all the world. This is the last time that word gospel appears in Mark. And it's such a hope-filled word that the gospel will be proclaimed in the whole world. You see, what it tells us is that the story is not going to end with Jesus' death. Jesus' death will reveal the mystery of the gospel, but Jesus will not remain in the tomb. He will rise from the dead. And he will walk among his disciples and he will ascend to heaven and he will sit at the right hand of the Father, reigning forevermore. And the gospel will be proclaimed around the whole world as it is happening today. What does it mean to receive that gospel? Well, Mary shows us it means just to entrust yourself completely to him. It means to turn from your independent life, a life that we live focused on ourselves, our self-centered lives, our, our words and actions contrary to the character of God. We repent for that and we turn to Jesus. And we say, Jesus, I, I need you as Savior and Lord. I need to be renewed by your spirit. I need to receive from you forgiveness, deliverance from fear, the removal of the shame. I need peace in my soul. I need meaning in my life. Jesus, I turn to you. I open my heart to you. I'm desperate for you. Fill me with your spirit. Change my life. And so if you hear the Lord inviting you, drawing you to him today, don't miss the moment. Open your heart to him. And if you already are a follower of Jesus and you feel like you've just kind of been metering out the oil a drop at a time, <laughs> then break the flask and pour out your life for him. Life is found in loving Jesus, being completely devoted to him. Jesus has opened the way to the Father's presence. Jesus will reveal the Father to us. He's opened the way into the Father's presence. And the Father and the Son send the Holy Spirit to live in us, to give us full life. Why would we ever live in any other way? 
And life is found in knowing the Father and responding to those promptings of the Holy Spirit, doing the wild things that no one else understands. But we do it for Jesus, out of love for Him, and with faith that He will use that for His glory. That's what life is about. Why live anything less? If we're followers of Jesus. So do we love Him? Are we devoted to Him? Or is Jesus just kind of part of the broader relationship network and we clue in every now and then? Kind of have these occasional meetings. Or is Jesus at the center of our lives? Our heart's desire. Our passion. How will we show devotion to him this week? You know, Jesus is just waiting for us to wake up to him. He's just waiting for us to wake up. He has so much for us. May we not miss him this Easter season. Amen? Amen. Let's stand to pray. So Jesus, we just thank you again for your amazing grace. And I pray for those here that have not yielded their hearts to you yet. I pray that they would Just pray with me. Lord, I need you. I open my heart to you. I repent for my sin. I receive you, Jesus, as Savior and Lord. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fill me with new life. I want to follow you. And if you're praying that prayer from your heart, then I pray that you would go to the Welcome Center or come to the front here or... Talk to your friend that brought you. Jesus has an abundant life for you. And for those of us, Lord, that are followers of you, may we live fully devoted to you. Oh God, may we turn our eyes to you this Easter season. May we come to a new understanding of what it means to be your children. What it is that you have done for us on the cross. What it means for you... For us, that you rose from the dead and that you are reigning forevermore. May we understand what it means, Lord, to be your children. May we live for your glory. May we proclaim the good news. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.